Before we get into this episode, I have an announcement. The next round of our program, Wanting It More, is going to be starting on February 1st, 2024, and it will be the last time I run it at the current price. The reason for this is that we are now providing a complete learning and support track for husbands, the same amount of support and education that we have been offering for women, instead of just the weekly support calls that we have done for the last two rounds for men. So if you join for the February-March round, you will get all of this for the current price before this goes up. And I think it is a great decision to make. We have found that the more support and education we provide men, no surprise, the better the outcomes are for all couples. So if you want to decide uh, if it's a good fit for you, if you want to learn all the information, you can go to janadentonhouse.com slash wanting it more for all the details. And I hope to see you there. And I also hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Wanting It More podcast. Today, we're going to be talking everything porn addiction, betrayal trauma, healing sex when this has happened in your relationship, all of those things. So if this is something that has happened in your relationship, this would be a great episode to listen to. Or just in general, I think it's a really important topic for folks to be aware of, whether it's your personal experience or not, because I think uh, a lot more people are dealing with this than one would think. So joining me to talk about this topic is Sandra. Sandra just completed the last round of Wanting It More. But as you'll hear in her story, her and her husband have been on quite the journey when it comes to this. And so we're going to take a break from our usual format in the podcast where I usually go into the history and background and childhood and all that. And we're just going to get right to it. So before we get into this topic, Sandra, do you want to just let folks know a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I'm 52 years old. Um, I've been with my husband for uh, 17 years, married for 15. And um, I, I've worked as a nurse and as a doula and a breastfeeding counselor. And I have, we have five kids, four of them from my first marriage, and we have one 10 year old together. So that's, that's it. That's about me. Wonderful. Okay, well, let's just get started right away. Um, when did this journey of yours begin? The journey began. So, you know, when we were dating, this was like way back in 2006. So it was kind of that was like porn was all over the place in the media, you know, like in media it was just uh, ubiquitous. It wasn't anything I was into. But when I was dating my husband, we had this conversations about, you know, I'm not seeing anybody else. Um, neither is he. I, I know people who have open relationships. That's not something I'm looking for. Neither was he. I said, hey, would you ever want to watch porn together? And at the time, I wasn't like for or against. It was just, you know, it shows up. Watch porn with your partner to spice things up, and he was like, "Oh no, no, I don't ever want to watch porn. It's, it's, I'm not into that." It's he just gave me that kind of story, and I was like, "Okay," and I forgot about it. And then um, we date. We got married um, two years later, and within a week of our marriage, I was waiting for him to shave, and I'm sitting in his computer, and I see a whole bunch of pop-ups of pornography on his computer, and I was like. Uh, hey, hon, what's this on your computer? And he got really, oh, well, you know, my my boss 
sent that to me and, you know, just a bunch of pop-ups open. It's just, you know, it's a guy thing and it's not, it's not mine. And I was like, okay, I, I didn't have any reason not to believe him, but it, it happened again a few months later. And then he said, yes, I thought I would stop once we got married and, you know, song and dance, went to some therapy. I kind of had this boundary. This is your thing, not my thing. And I didn't really do much about it at that point. Until two years later, um, we were actually sharing a computer and I went out of town with my oldest daughter, came back the next day to find he'd left work and he's watching porn all day at home and left it on the history. And then it became, this was around 2010. So this was several years ago. So we both did some therapy at that point. I kind of got the, the therapy trauma from the therapist that me being upset about him watching porn was just not, not normal. Cause this is what people do. So because I was really, it's more of the, um, when somebody's hiding something from you and not telling you the truth, it feels like, why are you hiding this from me? And what, what else are you hiding? And I, I, from what I've learned from, you know, working with my therapist and coaches on, and the reading we've done, when a woman finds secret porn use, it's they experience just as much betrayal trauma as if it was, whether it's just porn use or porn use and cams, you know, video chats and or porn use and affairs. Like it's it's the same level of betrayal. It's the same level of I can't, I don't know you, I can't trust you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we we went through some therapy at that time for several months and he he admitted he had an addiction and did some workbooks and claimed to have stopped but at the time he he didn't really stop he stopped for a short period and then went back to it and then the therapist basically implied that there was if he was smart he could just stop and he kind of felt like there was something wrong with him like he internalized that um, there must be something he's he's broken because he can't stop doing this on his own. And so he just got better at hiding it. He got better at doing it less over the years, um, but still trying to stop and then going back, cycling the addictive part of it. Um, and then um, that brings us to this year, because that was 10 years ago. And for all that time, I thought he had stopped. Um and yet there were times where I would ask him, are you watching porn again? Because strange things would come up. I, he would be really, he wouldn't listen to me if I told him, you know, I was tired. I didn't want to have sex. So he would, he would actually, you know, get really defensive. He would get really uh, catastrophic. Like we're never going to have sex again. He wouldn't, I would say, can you just remember that I love you and we'll have sex, you know, like, and he would be like, he, he would just catastrophize. He couldn't internalize. He couldn't separate the sex from love. And he would be really compulsive about needing to have sex, needing to have an orgasm to feel okay, to, to manage his mood and to feel like I wanted him. And he couldn't separate the two. And he would make odd comments about he was, he thought he was really nervous because he was trying to stop masturbating. And I would be really confused about that. I would like, why would you, why would you stop masturbating? Like people masturbate, you know? So I wasn't connecting. It was, he was trying to stop his addictive compulsive porn use. And he wasn't being honest about that either. And so it was earlier this year 
where we were having a big disagreement about some, uh, you know, just boundary crossing joking he was doing with a coworker. And he was kind of doing the, I don't know what you mean. I didn't know this was wrong. Kind of just like a vague, you know, um, kind of a, you know, what you kind of call gaslighting. Like, I'm like, I see this joking. I don't agree with it. And he's like, well, I didn't think it was sexual, but there's sexual language, sexual imagery, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to therapy and we're talking to our therapists. And after a couple of months, he finally admits to me that I'm, I'm still, I've been trying to quit using porn and I, you know, I didn't tell you the truth. Mm. And, um, that, that was a day where I feel like he just, he really came out of the closet with it. Mm. He came out of the basement. So the, the, um, we had been listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast and they have some interviews with Dr. Omar Manwala and he talks about the secret sexual basement. And when my husband heard that, that changed everything for him. He was like, there's no way that I want to abuse my wife. This is abusive to lie to you and to do these things. And it was really, it was really affecting our relationship and um, our sex life and, and, you know, vicariously everything else that we started listening to your podcast together and made so many connections, so many connections to, he would just, you know, regularly kiss me from behind. And I would say, don't do that. I don't like that. And he would keep doing it, but he couldn't respond to my requests. And he didn't understand that it was, you know, both people have to want the thing to, to enjoy the, what they're doing. You know, there has to be a consent. There has to be a, may I give you a kiss? Do you like being kissed this way? What kind of kiss do you like? That kind of, that kind of responsive back and forth. And, and he wasn't capable of doing that before he got treat, treatment for the pornography addiction. He was always moving too fast, moving, you know, like um, rougher. Um, uh, I would have to, you know, regularly ask him, please don't, please slow down, please touch me slower, please, you know, like, and, and it was just like constant. And it would get to the point where I would say, if I feel like you're not hearing me, it's really hard for me to want to have sex with you. And he couldn't understand that. He couldn't integrate that until we started addressing the addiction. How long did it take in his healing process to start noticing a difference in that? So um, once he admitted that to me, we we had both been doing some reading about um, uh, relationships and boundaries and stuff. But then we we really both dove into pornography addiction and um, all of the or the things that happen that make people more prone to addiction. Things like ha- coming from a rigid family and not having people um, having emotional, uh, emotional, emotion coaching, teaching empathy and compassion in their families, teaching um, awareness of what you're feeling. So we were, we were doing some work around that and we were, um, we both agreed, we made an agreement, a list of things that needed to happen in our relationship. And I, at that point, there had been so much, um, so much vague, not truth telling that I basically said, I'm going to give you 12 months. I know this takes work and I need to see you work with somebody who specializes 
and sex addiction. I need to see you do therapeutic abstinence. I need to see you um, give me a disclosure of what you've done. I need to see you show me that you understand all this. And so um, we both really, I need to see you take, um, go to a 12 step meeting and, and have a sponsor. I, I like, I'm like, I want to see you do all of these steps. We're not just going to like say, okay, and put it, sweep it under the rug again. We're going to do all the things. So, um, and I have to say the first time he attended a 12 step meeting was really pivotal because before that he seemed to not want to talk to anybody about it. And it was really powerful for him to attend a meeting. He attended virtual meetings with sex and porn addicts anonymous, and they were extremely supportive and they were extremely helpful. And they had a really um, strong sobriety definition, which included no, no sex with self. So he did go into a no masturbation, no orgasm, therapeutic abstinence period. And it was really interesting to watch him slow down. Like there were several weeks of where he seemed kind of extra agitated. And then there was just like a sudden, like he felt more calm. Like he could sit down and have a conversation. He didn't seem to be running around, running away keeping busy, like he could slow down, he could hear me, he was less reactive, and he was more mentally and emotionally present. And that was like, that gave me like, these little things would give me hope. I'm like, okay, we're making some I would see progress, I would see insight, I would see, you know, him being responsive. Um, and then we had a period of time where he was working. We were both working with coaches to prepare for our disclosure. Um, and that when there, someone does a full therapeutic disclosure, um, there's a workbook that's written by a couple of therapists, Dan Drake and Janice Caudill. They've written several workbooks for addicts and partners um, about the disclosure process. And he did a lot of about eight weeks of preparation going into um, his early experiences, a lot of the things you interview people about on here. What was, you know, what were your first, what was your family like? What was the environment around sex? When was your first exposure to porn and all of that stuff? And, and it really opened up a lot of things to him that he didn't understand before. Things that, um, that it was something that, and I kept coming back to you saw your dad had a collection of porn. You saw your uncles would bring it camping. You saw that your friends in college would get together and watch porn together. Like you were groomed and trained to do this. Yeah. It was culture. It wasn't just this thing that was random and you're, there's something wrong with you because you want to do it all the time. No, it was something you were trained. This is what men do. And I kept coming back to that because he had this idea that he didn't agree with it and he didn't want to do it, which I don't know how that all works, but um, the disclosure process was really good for him to really examine how he saw people talking about sex, how he saw his family not talking about sex, how he saw porn use, how he, how he felt bad about it and hit it, all kinds of things. Um, and, and after we did our disclosure um, in July, which was at this point, you know, five months ago, I, um, we also um, chose to work with somebody who does couples brain spotting. 
And um, couples brain spotting is uh, brain spotting is a trauma therapy that people use. Um, it's really been studied for people who um, were uh, at uh, various traumatic events. Uh, one of the most famous was the Sandy Hook Elementary um, shooting, and the people who the people who were traumatized by that that utilized brain spotting recovered from their trauma much quicker. And when people work, when couples work with a, a brain spotting therapist, um, we were, we were, um, the, the way we were worked with is she had us face each other and she would bring up things and help us process it somatically. And one of the most powerful things about the brain spotting experience was that we would, um, process the feelings and I could feel his emotional presence before that there was a lot of vague um, or kind of what you call cognitive bypassing he could talk around the things but not necessarily feel the the feelings or feel my feelings and when we sat together with brain spotting there was a much deeper emotional connection and that was a really powerful thing that helped us feel more really connected and really emotionally present. Um, a lot of people who use pornography compulsively do it because they're afraid of their feelings. They're afraid of other people's feelings and it becomes something that they go to to hope. If they're excited, they go use porn. If they're scared, they go use porn. If they're grieving, they go use porn. It becomes this sort of way of avoiding dealing with their feelings or other people's feelings. And it becomes part of like a, a compulsive need to avoid feelings. And when people are avoiding their feelings, it's really hard to feel connected. So that was a really powerful part of our recovery work. Um, and and that's when I found, and that's when I contacted you and I said, Hey, Jana, is this, is WIM right for us? Is this the thing? Is this okay for us? Should we do this? Should I wait six months? Should I, you know, and I remember you telling me, well, some people discover their husband's porn use the first, you know, and they're, when they start doing the WIM program. And um, so we definitely, agree that WIM was our next step. We were looking at resources for how to recover your intimacy, your sex, your sexual relationship after betrayal. And a lot of it for I found was was geared towards the the addict. And there was very little of it that really a lot of it actually talked about the partner being sort of codependent, like she chose to be with an addict. Yeah, I've heard that too. It's awful. And uh, yeah, I didn't have any choice in that. <laughs> yeah. But um, so, yeah, it, it could be you know, triggering to, to start reading things about integrating your sexual life with your partner after addiction and being told you're a co-addict or something like that. So as we we're listening to your podcast and we listened to one of the, you know, wanting it more 101 recordings together. And we had the best conversations after that. And we we're like, we really need to do this program because, you know, like it's, it's, it's a sexual wounding for a partner. Yeah. It wounds your sexuality. Oh yeah. For years. Yeah. And, um, I was terrified, like 
uh, that I would never know. Is he thinking about me? Is he thinking about porn? Is he trying to make this like porn? Like I would never, like, I felt like there, I needed to figure out how we could be together in a way that felt like it was us with each other. And whim is so incredible for this. And there's nothing else out there. Like what, the way you're presenting the, the framework of creating safety and the uh, intentionally an experience for pleasure and connection. It's using your senses, using, you know, all of the things that you teach are, are so beautiful. Like I have lost all of that fear. I don't have any of that fear. What we do looks nothing like the media sex formula now. Like we often joke like, this would be such a boring movie <laughs> if somebody was recording this. But we feel connected and we feel like in each moment, we're like, do we want to do this or that? How does this feel? Like, you know, like this is so nice. I really like just feeling the little chest hairs in the middle of your chest, you know, just, just feeling them. And it's so like, and then he's like, oh, I love this too. And it's like very, it's, it becomes an experience that's, that we're sharing. And then there's also all of the, the steps around, like, if it's a maybe, it's a no. There have been so many times where I've been like, in the past, I might be like, eh, I don't really want to do this. But, you know, the media says, if I don't, you know, he might look for somebody else or something. There's these media um, things that we that we don't even the programming that we get about. Um, it was so helpful every step of the WIM program to examine those messages and to have that framework for how we talk to each other, how we give each other, both each other, compassion, how we identify what we need and ask for it. So incredibly powerful, really. Wow. I, okay. I want to ask you a question. I don't want to forget about it because I've been holding it in my brain because you just keep on <laughs> sharing so many wonderful things. I don't want to interrupt you. And then I do want to make an observation about what you just said in my own experience pre-WIM and how that's probably informed how the program has gone. Because as some people know, I went through my own betrayal trauma and my husband healed from his porn addiction. But going back to when you found out again that had been going on, I think a lot, I hear from a lot of women who at that stage, whether it's the first, um, you know, finding out for the first time or, or if they think their husbands have quit, that's very common, by the way, is yeah. husband will say I'll quit and, and they don't. And then, yeah, long time later, they find out it's, it's its own betrayal. <laughs> and because you're like, you're right, it is about truth. But how did you find the courage or the the confidence to say this is this is it like this is what I require and by you giving it 12 months I'm guessing that you were putting your marriage on the line I'm I'm not sure but yeah how how were you able to do that what was that experience like for you that's a really good question and it, it, it all kind of ties in because I had started working with a therapist 
like a year and a half before that about the whole like him doing non-consensual touch with me. And I, I started therapy like, am I crazy for asking for him to not to, to not kiss me? Like, and she's like, no, you're not crazy. So you get to that. decide. You get to decide what you want and what you like. And you get to, you know, you get to set the boundaries for your body. And she helped me work on, you know, how to say no effectively and how to say, can you please come to my front where I can see you and ask me for a hug? Um, and I don't like when you kiss me on the back of the neck. It doesn't feel good. And I don't like being surprised. And like, you know, it had to be that how we we transition into this is what I need from you. Can you please give me this? Um, and so I had already been working with a therapist on that, um, how to stand in my boundaries and, and to validate my own self and what I needed. And it was really difficult for a while because there's a lot of stuff out there about, about, um, relationship therapy and marriage therapy. And, and some of it is like, um, there's such a big move for non-monogamy these days that it, it can make people feel really, um, how do I put this? Like, like how, how could you withhold something from someone if they want to do something? I don't know if, I, if I'm saying this right, or if it makes sense. Like one, and, one's freedom of sexual expression almost yeah. seems to come before someone's right. need for safety. Exactly. And there were, there were times before we got to him admitting about the porn addiction. And I was like, do you want to have sex with other people? Is this what you want? And I, I wasn't sure because he felt he didn't feel like he could talk freely about things because he knew he was keeping a secret from me. So our conversations were really difficult before he admitted things. And, and that's a whole nother can of worms. But yeah, the more I learned about it and the more I realized, I think it was the, the Dr. Omar Manwala interviews that talked about integrity abuse. And I realized that he was in, intentionally being vague and not answering questions to me because he was keeping a secret from me. And I, and I was just like, you know, it's really important to me to be in a relationship where you're telling me the truth. And where there isn't pornography and where, you know, like we both agree on what's real. We both agree on what's real in our relationship. And we, we can talk about our boundaries and we can talk about what what's OK in our relationship. And 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 so I think it had been it had been coming. I've been building that for like a year before that. So by the time he was open and honest about and confessed that he had been keeping that secret, I was just like. I'm not doing this again. Three strikes, buddy. <laughs> and I, I, we literally sat at the kitchen table and wrote a list of things at, at midnight and we both signed it. And yes, I did say 12 months from now, it, we'll have another conversation about whether or not we're going to talk to a lawyer. And I, I was really clear about I wasn't willing to keep living with somebody who wasn't honest with me. Yeah, but I, I did need a lot of help from my therapist to be really strong in that. And that it was reasonable and okay. And I'm allowed to have those re requirements in my life. Yeah and, yeah. and he was also allowed to say, those requirements don't work for me. Exactly. Yeah. But to get to that stage where you know for certain that this cannot be 
in your marriage and that you are willing to to dissolve the relationship if that isn't mm-hmm. something that can be offered to you that it just gives me chills because I've been there before and yeah. it is such a moment um it was such a moment in my marriage where it was such a powerful feeling I don't did it feel empowering for you definitely I I definitely felt really like I, I felt it growing in the few months before that, like I, I knew I needed to stand on my feet and be really solid in that. Like I, I, I there was, I, there was so much wishy-washy, vague, um, non-answers from him about things that I was like, this is, this is, and again, it's something I hear this so many times for, for partners, betrayed partners. It's not so much what they've done. It's, it's the, it's the behaviors around it. The, the, the vague, sort of gaslighting that they do that is is really hard to live with because you feel like you can't pin them down on anything and so yeah i had to be really solid and i need that and as we were in the learning we were doing we kept hearing too that when both partners want the relationship to work they can do it and thankfully both of us wanted the relationship to work and 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 I, I could see that the more like he had a lot of fear, he didn't want anybody to know about what was going on. And once he started talking to his support group and then he admitted to his therapist what was going on, there was I c- continued to see growth and change in him because he wanted it. He now looks he tells me daily. Thank you for helping me come home to myself and be the person I know I can be and be who like I'm true to myself now. He's like, you've given me the biggest gift of my entire life. Yeah. So I if if there's any partner out there who feels like they don't they don't feel they can ask that of their of their husband, you know, like he looks like six months ago, ten, you know, a year ago, I wouldn't have known, I would never have known we'd be in this place. But he is so grateful. It has changed his relationship with me, with his with his daughter, with our family, with his coworkers. He's a happier, more scented, more grounded person. He feels so much relief. He's living in his integrity. He is just on, like he is continually growing and learning every day. And I have the marriage I always wanted. I have this really amazing partnership now. And it was really hard, but it was so worth it. Yeah. And those early days when they're still in the fog of addiction, they're not, they're not going to know that they're not necessarily going to be tripping over thanking you for putting these boundaries in place and requirement. There's going to be pushback and there's going to be um, blaming you, you know, well, if you would just do X, Y, and Z, I wouldn't be in this position there. There's going to be, um, you know, deep, sadness on their part and you know it may elicit guilt in you and and why am I doing this to them they may even say that why are you doing this to me I mean those early days don't don't look like that and that's no. why it does require that level of I'm done I'm really done and I want you I want this marriage but this this can't be in it I'm not okay with that and yeah, it does. It takes a lot. I mean, I, I get women ask me, what what should I do? You know, I've just found out my husband has a porn addiction or uses porn. You know, the word addiction is a little bit yeah. um, up for up for definition. But, 
you know, I, I always come back to saying this exact thing. You need to get to a place where you know in your heart whether you're okay or not okay with it. Mm-hmm. Because other otherwise, like my husband always said, if I hadn't said, no, no, no way, no way this is happening, he would have totally continued. Like, why not? I mean, feels good. And he, he he's not aware of the effects he's having on himself or in a relationship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, they question that whether it's an addiction or not. And well, the, I mean, at the bottom line, can they stop? Can they stop doing it? And if they can't stop doing it and it's causing harm to their relationship, it doesn't matter what you call it. No. I mean, some people call it compulsive. I mean, whether you call it compulsive behavior or addiction, we found the addiction model really actually quite helpful. It's really explained a lot for us. Um, and it's really explained a lot for why it was so hard for him to quit. And, um, a lot of the, uh, just understanding of why anybody chooses addiction. Um, again, a lot of it we found was to avoid feelings, to avoid any kind of feelings, really. You've been so gracious in the community sharing your, your learning from your XDs. I'm wondering, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but are there any that you feel comfortable sharing? Like, you know, you've talked a little bit about what your sex life looks like right now, but is there any, I think people, it's such a different way of looking at it. I think it's so hard for people to even imagine, well, what are they even talking about? You know, if it's not what we see on TV, what is it anyways? Oh gosh. Yeah. It's putting me on the spot. I'm going to think of one of um, my last uh, most recent one. Actually, the funny thing is we had an XD the other day and I was like, you know, I really just want to go to the quilt store and pick out fabric. Can we do that? And he's like, sure, I'll help you pick out fabric. So that was an XD. But um, yeah, we had one recently where we had a busy day and we had gone out to meet some friends from my daughter's school. And then we had done something else and come home and it was XD time. And I was like, I'm just really tired. I'm showing up as a woman who's tired. And we just laid in bed and faced each other and we closed our eyes for a while. And um, then I said, I was laying there and I was just using my intuition. And as I'm just relaxing and feeling calm, I had this idea that it would be great for him to rub my back. And at that point, we were both fully clothed and I asked him to stay fully clothed. And I took off my clothes and said, will you will you just spread your hands wide and just gently smooth them around my back? Just smooth your hands all around my back. Don't massage or grip or anything and, and not tickly, not not to fingertips, but whole hand just smooth up around my back and so we did that for a bit and then I said this sounds weird but will you just put your mouth by my I have a scar on my back where I had surgery will you just hum into that and he said it's not weird and he did it reassurance yeah and um and the amazing thing is it felt really amazing and then he's like this is really fun. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it can be the, as just as simple and, you know, like, and again, the thing I love about for me, what I've chosen for IXD is I know a lot of people like to have a lot of requirements and I can be that way at times. And but for me, I've chosen, I want to enter my XD and just be like, what do I feel like I want to do right now? 
What's my impulse? What's my intuition telling me? And sometimes we'll start by sitting back to back on the floor and just relaxing for a couple of minutes. Um, so, but I, I want to get to that place where I'm just like noticing what, what does my body want to do right now? What would be nice? What would feel good? And it might be caressing his arm and it might be, it might be breathing together. It might, it might be taking off all our clothes and holding each other with penetration, but not intercourse and just relaxing and being really close and connected or, you know, it, it could, but it, it's, the thing I love about it is just noticing what do I want right now and asking for it. And, and it's, it makes it feel so fresh and creative and alive. And like, it's something that we are creating right now in this moment. It's this new thing of exploring and it feels it just feels really safe. It feels really connecting. There's, it's all about pleasure. It's all about safety and using our senses, smell and touch and taste. And, and I, I'm just a waxing poetic. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I just imagine it really isn't, it really is a creative process. I love yeah. that you use that word. Yeah. And you said something earlier on, and I know what you meant, but I, I think maybe our listeners don't know. You said, I'm, I'm showing up as a woman. I can't remember exactly what you said. Could you Who's just tired. elaborate? Yeah. Could you elaborate <laughs> just a little bit on that? Well, I love how you have talked about this and whim about we're not, the media sex performance is a performance. The media sex formula is a performance. It's about making it look like this dramatic, passionate, intense thing. And it's like this sequence. Now you kiss, now you grope, now you have intercourse, now you have an orgasm. And then it's like, there's so much, like, it's like this formula. It's like something that somebody else is imposing on you. And you're, when you do that, when you show up like that, it's like this, now I'm a passionate, hot, sexy woman. Like you're supposed to show up in this role, but in an XD and in, in just, I feel like in, as, as a sexual person, as, as a, as people in a relationship with each other, we're showing up as the person we are in that moment. Mm -hmm. We're not showing up as it, it has to be a certain way. It has to be hot and heavy. It has to be really hungry. It's just right in this moment. How am I feeling? And I'm sharing that in this moment. Yeah. And asking for what I, whether I need rest or whether I need connection or relaxation or touch, or it's just being, it's being genuine and real. Yeah. There's such a dehumanization of sex mm -hmm. in the world. Yes. And this is like a rehumanization. Yes. Mm -hmm. So much. And that's something that we have, we have incorporated into our experiences together is to just be able to say, I notice my heart rate's going up. Is there something I'm thinking or feeling right now? And just saying, you know, just, and then we just say it, state it, acknowledge it and make space for it. And it turns into a, um, something where then we're, we're giving each other regulation and attunement. We're being really connected and we feel really safe. And then that actually helps us both feel really loved 
And it's turning into this thing where when we have an XD or a sexual experience together, it's just that we, we are showing up and happy to be with each other in whatever we're experiencing, whatever we're thinking, whatever we're feeling, not to change it, but just to bring compassion. It makes sense that you're feeling tired. We just did a lot today. It makes sense. You know, just, it's so beautiful to offer that to each other to offer acceptance and compassion and to not bring into it, to, to let go of that need to perform or have it look or feel or whatever, any certain kind of way to have any kind of expectation, just drop that and just be present for what, whatever we're sharing. It's, yeah. it's really beautiful. I think so much of the conversation outside of, you know, out in the outside world is about how you can, um, overcome the exhaustion so that you can have sex or not be depressed so that you can have sex or, or get through your anxiety so that you can show up and, and do sex. And just like you're saying, I think sex or however, you know, how we've defined it as, as an opportunity for connection and pleasure can actually provide healing. It can provide safety, relaxation, nourishment, to soothe those normal human challenges that we all go through. And so then it doesn't become another burden, another thing that you have to provide another person or a need you need to fulfill, but that you can actually take from the experience that it can, it can help you in life. And I, yes. I think that's what it's meant to be. It's always meant to be, but yeah, we're, well, I was going to say we're in a turning point in our culture. I, I sure hope so. <laughs> although, although a lot points to things are getting darker and darker, but, um, you know, this is really possible. One other question I had for you was like, I know all these things, but I know listeners may not know. They may think, okay, great. She's asked him to rub her back, but I would be laying there naked, worried. Like, what is he going to touch next? What is he going to expect? What kind of boundaries or, or understandings do you have in your XD so that you can feel really comfortable making those types of requests? That is something that we started working on actually long before we started WIM because I was working with my therapist and a coach who was trained in betrayal and, and porn addiction and sex addiction because a lot of men who watch a lot of porn they have a hypersexual brain. And so they will make jokes about sex. They will, everything they do has this intention of it's supposed to lead to sex. They don't know how to show up in a different way. So I had actually started even before I spoke to you about when, um, on boundaries with my husband, that if he wanted, if I asked him for a hug, he would start reaching for my butt. So I would start, I actually had to start giving him boundaries. I don't like that. Um, I need to know that you that you love me for who I am and that you can be here for me without expecting sex. Like that was something we had we've been working on for several months. So I would say, can you put your arm around me and not touch my butt? Hmm. Can you um, can you just come sit next to me and ask me about my day? Can you like before we even started having sexual experiences again after a period of abstinence? Um, I felt like I needed to know that he could be with me 
with non-sexual touch. That was really important to me. And it was really difficult for him because he didn't have, he didn't even have that framework of that he could be with me in a loving way that wasn't sexual. He didn't have that. Um, he had to sort of learn that, that being with your partner in a loving, supportive way doesn't have to lead to sex. And now he, now he, he's really grateful for that. Um, he's really grateful that we can just rest in non-sexual touch, that we can hold each other, that we can hold hands without wondering, is, are we going to have sex tonight? That were, that was, that's part of the compulsive addictive part of it is that everything was like, are we going to have sex? Are we going to have sex? You know, and it's really hard to be with somebody when you know, that's all they're thinking about. And even if you don't know, they're thinking that it's coming across, you're feeling, you're picking up on that. And it, it makes you like, need to give this boundary or I'm people can't see me, but I'm pushing my arms, like arms length away. Like you have to protect your space because you feel like you're being, um, I can't even think of the word, but you just don't feel safe. You feel like you're being objectified is the best word I can come up with to describe that feeling. Yeah. And I just, and, wanna, I just want to interject here to make a point that is diagnosed as low libido in our culture. Right. Right. Yeah. Good. Yep. That's the point. That's a good point. And yeah, it's impossible to show up and have a wholehearted yes. If you don't feel like you have the option to say no. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's something that we had long worked on. So by the time we started doing XDs, he had been working on that for quite some time. I, I see a lot of people nervous about that in their early XDs, like feeling guilty about asking for a non-sexual touch because we've been programmed that you can't you can't just let a man touch you and not let him have sex. Somehow they're entitled to that. Mm -hmm. That's so unfair. In 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 the course of our of the program, you you ask you challenge us to ask what is the purpose of sex in our marriage? And that was really um, just mind, just mind blowing paradigm shifting to be able to look at the sexual experience and ask, why are we doing this? What is it for? What is our purpose? Does it serve in our relationship? Helps us to put aside everything, all the expectations and old messaging and just create something new that we, we choose for our, for our benefit, for our, our connection, for our pleasure, for healing, for resting, for nourishing each other. And it helps us create something new. And that's just so powerful. And I just thank you so much. You're so welcome. It's been an absolute joy watching you and your husband um, walk through this journey and yeah. Thanks for, um, thanks for joining me because when you come on and you share your experience, we, we get to, to create a little change in the world together. So I really appreciate that. And thanks to everyone for listening right to the end. And I'll talk to you in the next one. Bye for now. Hey, just Jana. I know I just said goodbye, but here I am again, reminding you that if you would like to join wanting it more now is an excellent time. The price is going to be going up. So if you join for the February-March round of 2024, you will get the complete program for women and the brand new complete program for men for the current price. It's a really great deal. So if you want to join, I highly encourage you to join our waitlist. You can go to janadentonhouse.com slash wantingitmore.com 
to sign up and then you will be the first person or the first group of people to get the information so that you can join before the the gates open for everyone and it's flooded. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope to see you there if it's a good fit and I'm looking forward to welcoming both you and your partner to the experience.